right here on Never Had It So Good. Where are they now? A look back at the athlete's journey, a walk down memory lane all the way up to the present, a discussion about teammates, impact coaches, competition, and how their team prepared them for real life. We groove with it all. Host David Riley, Tim Moore, and Princess Cooper, live on www.NeverHadItSoGoodSportsRadio.com. Hey, welcome to Never Had It So Good Sports Talk Radio. It is time for Never Had It So Good. Where are they now? With my guest tonight is Coach Terry Bowden. Let me get in my co-host, Duck Riley. Tim Moore is is uh, on assignment doing some other things, so we will hold it down without him tonight. We'll see him tomorrow night. Duck Riley, how are you, sir? Doing well, Princess. Uh, you know, Tim's like uh, – I want to know how many miles, how many uh, the mileage that he uh, he's trying to write off this year on the tax. We need to get the tax people in here involved in this. I, I think we should. If I didn't know that he was a preacher, I think he was a traveling salesman. He's out. He's out and about every <laughs> every week for sure. And then sometimes doing the show from Cleveland or whatever. But um, he is still involved in the community. And I love that. Duck, I'm excited about tonight, for sure. Um, you know, and, and we really seem to get a whole lot of West Virginia people on, Duck. I, I just wanted to make that observation. Okay. I, I, I have no idea what you're talking about, Princess. <laughs> I'm sure you don't. I'm sure you don't. Let's welcome Coach Bowden to the show. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. How are y'all? Doing really good. I appreciate doing, you being doing on. Well. We apologize for, uh, for delay in the technical difficulties, but we got it figured out, and here we are. I'm going to let Doc, Duck start with you, and then, um, Duck, I'll, I'll be there and come back at the end. Okay, no problem. Again, welcome, uh, TB. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Duck, it's great, great talking to you. It's been a long while, but we had a great fun playing together at West Virginia uh, and knowing each other over the years. Oh yeah, without a doubt, man. We 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 should have got Rocky on here too. That that that, that would have that would have put us over the top. You know, I talked I, I talked to Rocky last night. I hadn't talked to him for a long while, and uh, and uh, to be honest, here we were just talking. About, you know, Bobby Huggins. We 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 both were friends with Bobby, and I just hope he's doing well. I don't know all the details. I haven't been to West Virginia for a while, but I, I hope just from a personal standpoint, his life is doing okay. Yeah, uh, without a doubt. Coach, uh, I want to get started with because I want to just kind of take me through growing up, and I guess mm-hmm. in Morgantown, and uh, right. how you got started in uh, sports. Well, you know, well we moved. You know, my dad's been a coach since I was born. I mean, he became he when I was I was born in, in Douglas, Georgia, little old town of Georgia, nineteen fifty six. Uh, and my dad was a head coach at South Georgia Junior College, so I so so I grew up around the breakfast table with a football coach. And so, by the time I was in uh, fifth grade, we moved to to Morgantown. My dad became the offensive coordinator at West Virginia University for a head coach named Jim Carlin, and my dad was the offensive coordinator uh, there at uh, at West Virginia. So that's kind of where I got started, and of course played at Morgantown. 
uh, played Little League and played uh, Morgantown Junior High School, then for Morgantown High School. The interesting thing was when I was in high school, uh, maybe junior high school, my dad was recruiting a quarterback uh, down in, down in uh, Monongo, West Virginia, little old quarterback named Nick Saban. And I, got, <laughs> and I remember going to a high school game with my dad watching Nick Saban play. Now, Nick Saban was, wasn't too tall, 5'8", so he, my dad didn't get to sign him. He went on to Kent State. But a lot of people don't realize that. And, then, uh, and, and you might remember, we played, played football guy named Charlie Miller. Uh, Charlie mm-hmm. Miller played at Nongo, uh right there towards uh, when he was when he was a freshman. I think played with Nick, and then Terry Marber was a great running back at West Virginia who played with Nick Saban. But anyway, so I, I, I played football from the time they let me play in Little League, and then when it got to high school at Morgantown, and I got to be a senior. Although I was a football player, I was a all stater, but I just was too short and too slow to be a probably a big time running back, and I got recruited like at Fairmont State and at West Virginia Wesleyan, but I want to be a football, I want to be a college football coach, and I thought it would be better for me to go to a big school like West Virginia, walk on, and be a part of that program and a part of the, the big-time program atmosphere, and uh, I, I did get the letter a couple of years, in the running back here with you, uh, played with you all my time, we came in together, and uh, uh, and I was a running back and many of the drills just with you there, uh, future was going to be in coaching, not in playing. I did get the letter two years at West Virginia, but I got, but I started my football there, played there. And so uh, it, it just went from there, from West Virginia playing football uh, and being around football and around coaching. Uh, it was what I always wanted to do. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. I was an accounting major at West Virginia. I had the highest GPA on the football team. I went on and got my law degree from Florida State University. Uh, I studied international law at Oxford University in England, and then I got my master's degree from Clemson. But I've never, but I, but I wanted to be a football coach, and I ended up saying, "Okay, I'm going to coach football." So I was a head coach when I was 26 years old. I went back to West Virginia, Salem College in Salem, West Virginia, was my very first coaching job. Uh, I was 26 years old, the youngest head coach in the country. And, and my first quarterback that I recruited out of uh, Glen Falls, which is right outside of Clarksburg, I, I recruited a quarterback uh, by the name of Jimbo Fisher. And Jimbo Fisher was my <laughs> first quarterback, and he played for me at Salem and at Sanford and was with me 14 years as a player and coach. And so the, 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 the amount of football players uh, that came out of West Virginia that I associated with was pretty incredible. And uh, – but I finished up this year. I, I, I'm, kind of, I'm hanging up the cleats. I've been a head coach 28 years uh, in college. I put 10 years of broadcasting in New York in between that. After 15 years as a head coach, I went to New York broadcasting for ABC Sports. I worked in Times Square, did that for 10 years. Then I came back and kind of had a second career, 13 years uh, as a head coach the second time around. Uh, and I enjoyed that part a lot because that was much more not about – fame and fortune, but about working with young men, taking over programs that needed help, and building football programs. So I have enjoyed my time in, uh, broad- in coaching football, broadcasting football, and I retired pretty much this year uh, at ULM. We got, we got a new boss, and you know how that goes. New boss wants a new coach. And I said, well, I'm going to really sit back and see, do I want to go, do I want to go into broadcasting again? Do I want to coach again? 
Uh, I'm not quite ready to retire at 60. I'll be 68 in February. Uh, but I have a lot of – everything I, I have I owe to my upbringing in West Virginia. I consider myself a West Virginian. That's where I, I lived in West Virginia long ago. Uh, and I'll always consider Morgantown kind of my home. And my colors will always be uh, blue and gold, and I'll always be a mountaineer. <laughs> I'm glad you emphasized that for the the other co-host who's a Florida Gator. But anyway, we won't hold that against (laughs) us. Hey, even if I was a Florida, if I I didn't go to school in Florida, but I would be a Seminole if I was going to go with my second thing. But you know, uh, oh, this this show, this show, this show is heartbreaking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know. my kids grew up in Orlando. When I went to work in New York, ABC, I, I, I moved to Orlando. I would just fly to New York on the weekends, and most of my neighbors were Gators. So I, I, my kids grew up around a lot of Florida Gators. And I'll be honest with you, Steve Spurrier and I coached against each other a lot of years, uh, and uh, we were always very good friends. And uh, so I, uh, uh, I have a great affection for a lot of, lot of, lot of great Gators. Thank you, sir. Now, now Terry, you, you, brought up, you brought up something interesting. You're sitting every day at the table growing up with your dad. How much yeah. did he influence you? Oh. oh, Duck, it was everything. I mean, you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of uh, coaches, they, they coach five years for this coach or five years for that coach, or they go work for these three guys, and they have lots of influence from a lot of people. Well, I grew up listening to my dad talk about football, walking on the sidelines at Sanford University and at West Virginia and at Florida State. Uh, then I played for him. Then I was a graduate assistant for him. And so until the day I became a head coach in 20, when I was 26 years old, the only mentor I had was Bobby Bowden. Now, I will say this. Frank Signetti, who you and I played for, I sure miss Frank. I had a lot of respect for Frank Signetti. He was my dad's offensive coordinator. Then he became the head coach after my dad. And although we did not win a lot of ball games during that time, most people who are old as we are know that West Virginia was transitioning uh, from what they call the Southern Conference uh, to independent uh, football. And we played a much, much tougher schedule than West Virginia had ever played. So that we went through a transition period uh, there. But my mentor was Bobby Bowden. Uh, and because I was a head coach all my life, I was a head coach, and the only mentor I had really was Bobby Bowden. Uh, and even while I was a young head coach, I would study his film and study his coaching techniques and get advice from him uh, so that I, I could uh, uh, have a, have my own style. And I think Tommy would tell you that. Tommy, I will say that he coached for about five or six other major coaches in his life. I did not. I, I went the route my dad did. So my dad was just a great mentor. And I think, Doug, you, of course, you knew my dad, too. He taught yeah. us off the field is on the field. He taught us how to be men, yeah. how to yeah. have a spiritual side to our life, and, and to be more than just about football. And, and speaking of that, uh, Terry, uh, I don't know if you know that uh, when your father passed, we did a, uh, a tribute to him. And a lot of friends, uh, uh, Creighton, Pride Moore, all those guys oh, came yeah. on the show, and uh, 
they talked about your dad and you know and the funniest part of it was they were talking about how he just kind of come in the house and won won the parents over like for myself he, <laughs> my mom just said hey you're going to West Virginia you it wasn't even the rest of it was a, the case was closed but I mean yeah, just yeah. that influence that he had and just yeah. the spiritual part he brought to the table with wow. him it was it was it was touching. So. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a football. I'm not sure it's quite the same anymore. I don't think – well, coaches get – they move around so much nowadays. Even players, they, the portal transfer has changed a lot. You're there one year, you move to another school another year, another school another year. I'm not sure and, – and, and when you start recruiting, I know I just got new play coaching and recruiting last season. You know, when you recruit out of the portal, you don't go to the home. You don't know the parents. You don't watch them through high school. You recruit them off of a video, and you never you might meet them one time, and then and then you and then you sign them. So you really don't know them. You don't know their home life. You don't get to know their family. It's a whole different world right now, and and being able to mentor and being able to mentor uh, young men, because when you have them four or five years like you and I had in college, a head coach has a big impact on you or influences you. And uh, but nowadays. Not only do coaches move around pretty quickly or get fired pretty quickly, the players, uh, if they have a better circumstance, they'll pick up and go somewhere else after a year. And after another time, they graduate, they'll go transfer and play somewhere else. And so I think there's some of that we, we I guess in a sense, when a player can get money and can get what he's worth, there's a plus side for that athlete. But there is a takeaway from that in, in the mentoring. Uh, you know, I always felt like, when I went to college, I know my alma mater. I know the I know you know I know my alma mater at West Virginia. I know my school colors. You know, I met my girlfriend. She became my wife. Those kind of things that you get in college, we're we're, we're losing some of that stuff now. And I think coaches. I, and I'm not so sure Nick Saban didn't sense that this was a big change in college football. Uh, that uh, that the coaches of today have to deal with what I had to deal with in the last three or four years of my career, as opposed to 40 years ago, you know, it was, 1983 was my first year as a head coach and that was 40 years ago. Uh, so it, so it is a little different, but because I, Tommy Pridemore, uh, Tom Creed and all those guys that you mentioned that were on our team together, uh, they'll be our, they're friends the rest of our life. They're our friends the rest of our life. And nowadays we're going to lose a little bit of that. We're going to lose a little bit of that in college and, and that's that is a sad side of what's going on with portal transfers and people moving around so much. Yeah, Terry. Then when you got got the job, I remember uh-huh. when you got the job. You know, being from West Virginia, when you got the job at twenty six, were you ready? And the second part uh-huh. of that question is, after you tell us that, take us through your climb of being a head coach. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I sure thought I was ready. I was always very, uh, you know, you know me. I was always coaching as a player. I always wanted to be a coach, and I always thought I'd be ready. And I, and I was, I, I thought I was the smartest kid on the block. And so I go to Salem College, and they had a family, and there's a family out of Clarksburg. Everybody knows the name Mansion, but it wasn't it wasn't Joe Mansion, the, the, the governor and the senator, but Joe Mansion, his uncle was a big uh, supporter of Salem and he taught me taught me into going to Salem College and and I and I and I think I'm ready to be the best coach that ever lived. Now, 
Salem College had been 0 and 10 the year before. Had 0 9 and 1. They had said they were 0. They had won no games before I got there. And I remember I was going to go in there and turn everything around. Uh, and after seven games, I'm 0 and 7. 0 and 7. And so I can remember calling my dad. I said, I don't know if I'm going to make this coaching business. And what was bad in that seventh loss? This is a, this is how young coaches say what a smart coach I was. We we were getting beat by Glenville State. And so I had to, so my receiver, Fred Wilhelm out of Clarksburg, was my punter. And so he, he dropped a pass on third down, so I was chewing him out on the sideline. And as I was chewing him out, I noticed that we our punter wasn't in the game, and he wasn't in the game because I was chewing out my punter, who was my receiver. And so I grabbed <laughs> him by the shirt, and I said, get in there, you're supposed to be the punter. And when he got halfway out there, my freshman snapper snapped the ball to nobody, and it rolled 45 yards down the one-yard line, uh, and the other team scored it, and we lost the game to be 0-7. So it wasn't easy to start with. but the, the, And that was kind of some of the stuff that happened. But after that, we won our first game against West Virginia State. Then we beat West Virginia Wesleyan, I think Waynesburg College, and we went 3-7. We, we went and seven. And then the next two years, we won the conference and went to the playoffs. Uh, and it was a and, and it kind of was a big turnaround. It was a big turnaround, and, and we had great success there. But but after three years, I felt like you know at West in the West Virginia Conference, you can kind of get lost. You know, I, I want to go into Division One football, and I've got to. I may have to go back as an assistant. So I, I took I took the University of Akron job uh, as a quarterback coach, and I was a quarterback. That's the only one year I've been. I was a head coach twenty eight years and an assistant coach one year at Akron as a quarterback coach, and then I left there to go to Stanford University. Uh, and so at, at, at Stanford University had had uh, was looking for a head coach. My mother and father went to Stanford. They they graduated from Stanford. And Sanford uh, was a Division three program uh, that was trying to move to 1AA. So the, 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 the president uh, called me and had me interview and said, we'd like to take our program from Division three, not to, not to Division two, but all the way up to 1AA. And so I thought that was a great opportunity for me to build a program as a young head coach because now I was 29 years old and I was ready to be a head coach again. So. The first year there, we were nine. We we were a Division three team, uh, and the funny thing was, Jimbo Fisher transferred to play for me at Sanford, and we took a team that had won a couple of games here before, and we, we and we went nine and one. We had a great year, but but we we weren't allowed to play for the playoffs because we were a, our the rest of our sports at Sanford were Division one, and so we couldn't play. So at that point, we moved our program at Sanford to a Division one AA program. So we had the, the, the in 1988 we had freshmen only on our team and we lost a lot. Then we had sophomores on our because Division Three we had no scholarships. So by the time we had our fourth year there, first senior class at Stanford, we um, we went 12 and two. We made it to the national semifinals. We were one game away from the national championship when we lost to Youngstown State. Uh, but we had we had almost gotten to the national championship game in four years of scholarship. And so I guess you could say at that time I kind of got to be a hot ticket. I got my my name was getting out there. And so after one more year at Sanford and one more year we went to the playoffs again the next year, Auburn came calling. 
And so at 36 years old, and I was the youngest Division One coach at that time, at 36 years old, I went to Auburn. And I was a, the youngest. I was a young head coach at now at a pretty big-time program. And, uh, and now you better really know what you're doing because, you know, our big rival is Alabama. And in and, and 1992, they had won the national championship. And I take over a program at Auburn. And you think of Auburn as being a great program. Well, Auburn had had two straight losing seasons. And Auburn had lost three straight years in a row to Alabama. And so, and then the head coach got, got fired or, or had to resign because of recruiting violations. And, all, and when I got there, we got put on two years probation. No bowls, no posters of play for two straight years. And so now I've is not winning on probation, and our cross-straight rival is the defending national champion. But we had a very good uh, hard, hard-nosed team. Had a good staff. My brother Tommy was on that staff. Jim Bodow was on that staff. A couple of West Virginians, they are. And we took that Auburn program, and we went 11-0. and We went undefeated. We were the only undefeated team in the country that year. And uh, although we were undefeated, we could not play for a championship because we were on probation. And so we couldn't play. So we had to sit at home after being the only team undefeated. We had to sit at home and watch other teams play for the national championship. And the crazy thing was, you know who won the national championship in 1993? My old man. <laughs> My best year <laughs> I've ever had. I'm the national coach of the year, and I'm not even the best coach in my own family. <laughs> in the best year ever. So in 1993, we go undefeated at Auburn, and Florida State loses one game and wins the national championship. But I stayed on at Auburn in 1994. We did something that's never been done in the SEC. We won our next nine games straight. So at Auburn, I had, before we ever, ever lost a game, we won 20 straight games in the SEC. So at that time, things were really going pretty well. And uh, uh, then, we, then we tied Georgia, and then we lost 21-14 to Alabama to go 9-1-1. The first two years, we went 21-1, and uh, we, and, we, and we finally got off probation. Uh, and then I was there three more years. Uh, we, went, we went to bowl games the next three years. My last year at Auburn, 1998, my last full year, I, uh, we, play, we won the division, and we played in the SEC championship in 1998. And the team that beat us was Tennessee, and their quarterback was a guy named Peyton Manning. So we lost, we lost 30-29 to 29 to Peyton Manning in the SEC championship in 98. Well, a lot of politics were going on at Auburn. A lot of the things that were going on when I got there continued to go on. And I had a disagreement with my trustees, and so I resigned in '98. Uh, I mean, not yeah, '98 season, the next season. Uh, but ABC Sports immediately called and asked if I wanted to be the studio host in New York. And at that point, I said, "Well, you know, that might be kind of neat." My dad was becoming pretty famous. He was he was kind of the the, the bowden around the country. So I said, "You know what? I'll go work television." So ABC Sports hired me from Auburn. And I went to New York, and John Saunders and I, and John passed a couple of years ago, God rest his soul, but John Saunders and I did the studio show in Times Square, and we worked there for, for eight years in, in Times Square doing the studio show uh, and, and, uh, and covered all the games from there, and uh, it was a great experience. Uh, in the last two years I was in broadcasting, I worked with Mike Tariq. In fact, he did the NFL game last night, I saw. Uh, I think it was the San Francisco game. He might have done the, the one at two. I don't know. I saw him yesterday on TV. But he and I worked together two years 
doing games on the road. And I did that for 10 years, but, you know, you know, football's in my DNA, Doug, and football's in my blood. And when I turned 50, I started getting that hunger to coach again. I said, I, I really didn't want to do – I've been wanting to be a coach all my life. So after about 10 years of broadcasting, I made a decision to go back into coaching. Now, having been out of coaching for 10 years, you, everybody wasn't knocking my door down to hire me. And I said, you know what, if I want to coach and this is what I want to do, it shouldn't be about the money anymore. So I said, I'm going to go start over. So I went and started my career over. And so, uh, so after TV, I went to North Alabama, University of North Alabama, Division Two, and I started my career over. I was there three years, and uh, all three years we went to the playoffs. We had, a, we had outstanding success there. And there, after being there three years, Akron called and offered me the head coaching job at Akron. And a chance, and they were a chance to build that program up. And so at Akron, we we I went to Akron. We we worked. They they were, I think two and twenty two. They were one and eleven and one and eleven uh, before I got there. And then we it took us about four years. But in my fourth year there, uh, we went eight and five, the most wins they'd ever had as a Division One team. We 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 won their first bowl game uh, against Utah State, and then. Uh, Two years later, we, we played for the conference championship and went to another bowl, uh, and, uh, and, and that's where I was there until I left there to go to ULM, uh, where I planned on kind of finishing up my career. I was 65 years old when I came to uh, ULM, and, I, and ULM now was 0-12 the year before I got here. Not only had they not won a game, they had not even led any ball game. And I said, this will be a good team to kind of try to build up. And so we began to build this program up, uh, and we were doing, we were making good positive moves. And then, like what happens in this business, I got a new boss, got a new AD, and he wanted to hire his own guy. And so they bought out my contract or paid off my contract. Uh, and so most likely I would have retired at 70 when my contract was over. But uh, at 68, I've decided probably this is probably where I'll probably, uh, unless unless the good Lord, unless the good Lord leads me back into coaching, Right now, I'm kind of preparing to uh, do a little podcast, a little broadcast, and I've got some opportunities that have been presented to me to to do to do broadcasting and do an, anal- an analyst work and things like that. So that's kind of my whole football career. Uh, I will say this: this is the first time there won't be a Bowden on the sideline coaching since 1953. That's wow. seventy. That's seventy years there's been a Bowden on the sideline coaching, and this year wow. coming up, 2024 will be the first year there won't be one coaching. Wow. All right, Terry, it, it takes me to yeah. this. How hard is it for you to assemble a staff? Yeah. Well, well you know, there's a lot of factors that go into that now. And, of course, I, I, I've had the opportunity to assemble a lot of staffs. Because every time you get – I've been a head coach at six different universities, so I've had to assemble a staff six times. But not just that. Every year you have to add, add, add another one. You got to hire a guy. You lose a couple. You gain a couple. You got to change. And so you, you, you kind of learn how to hire a staff. Now, you mentioned how much did my dad influence my career. Well, he kind of taught me how to staff and, and, and how to coach. And so there's no probably set formula, uh, except you better hire good people. And you better not hire just friends. You better hire people that are great coaches. Now, if you've got a friend that's a great coach, that's fine. But if you hire a friend that's not a very good coach, uh, 
you're probably going to lose. You're probably going to have to lose your coach and your friend somewhere along the line if you have to fire. <laughs> so you hire good people that can that that are good for you in that job. Now I've always been an offensive play caller, Duck. I mean, when I like my dad was back in the '80s and '90s, I called all my plays, and so I had two key off two key coaching positions. If I had ten coaches. I've got to hire a great defensive coordinator because I'm going to coach offense. And I've got to have a great line coach, offensive line coach. You know, at, at Auburn, Rick Trickett was my offensive line coach. And you remember Coach Trickett. He was our, he was, actually, he was the defensive line coach in West Virginia when we played. And you remember Coach Trickett. But he, he became a great offensive line coach. And so, as a head coach, I would make sure I hired a great defensive coordinator because I wasn't going to fool the defense. And I'd hire a great uh, line coach. Nick Saban, who has always been a defensive coach, he always had to have a great offensive coordinator that could run the show over there because he didn't fool with it much. So there is every coach has a different way of doing that. Uh, some coaches don't call plays at all. They just they're just CEOs. So they and they they need great coordinators on both sides to run everything, uh, and then he gives us input. But I think you've got to again look and see who's best for your program. Uh, and again, over the years, you, you kind of you kind of know who the good defensive line coaches are, who the good running back coaches are, and you've got what I call a short list. You better always have a good short list of coaches at every position because you're always there's always a chance you're going to lose a coach. And so I would try to hire coaches uh, that were the best I could get, uh, and also ones that may be from that area. There may be that were good recruiters in that area because nowadays a coach is has got to be a great a field coach uh, and a great recruiter. You've got to be able to do both, you know. When my dad was coaching very uh, many years ago, he would always say, Terry, if you've got four coaches that are great coaches and four coaches that are great, are great recruiters, that ain't a bad average. But that, but that <laughs> isn't a long time ago. Every coach pretty much has to be a great recruiter if you're going to get by with all the portal transfers and all the, all the uh, uh, transfers and all the national recruiting you've got to do. There's a lot more that goes into play there. And when you're with, you're with at a smaller school, say I'm at UL, say I'm at Auburn, it doesn't matter where you're from there. Every coach is going to recruit all over the country. But when you're at a ULM, uh, University of Louisiana Monroe, you better hire coaches that have Louisiana background because you don't have the money to recruit all over the country. Most of your recruiting is going to be in Louisiana, Mississippi, and Texas, East, East Texas, and maybe South Arkansas up to Little Rock. And so now you do want some coaches that are from that area, that know the high school coaches, that know the area. So you have to be careful not to hire. You've got to hire coaches that fit your program. Also, if you're at West Virginia, as opposed to Akron, you've got more money to pay coaches. And so when you have more money to pay coaches, you can hire better coaches. So so there, there is a – many many head coaches get fired before they learn how to hire staff. And, and, that, and that's what he does. There's no – there's no chance to learn on the job. You better know what you're doing, and so a lot of a lot of uh, uh, the the how much you can pay a coach will come into play uh, as far as really how high you can go for a great coach. But once you get to the to the power five level, you, there's enough outstanding coaches out there and enough money to pay people. You better know really know what you're doing when you're at a Fairmont State, uh, and you've got to go out there with limited budget and limited dollars. You've got, to, you've got to have a good group of people. Uh, and I always like coaches that play for me, uh, coaches that have worked with me before. Because although you don't want to hire your friends, you, you want people to have great loyalty. The most important thing in a staff 
is loyalty. You've got to be loyal to your head coach, and your head coach has to be loyal to your coach, your assistant coaches, because it's a tough business. And invariably, you're going to lose a game you're supposed to win, or, or more likely, you're going to lose a game your fans think you should have won. And you better be able to circle those wagons and pull together as a staff. Because on outside those offices, there's a lot of people that are mad at you or don't like you that week. And you've got to have you don't need finger pointing. You don't need pointing fingers or blaming somebody else. You've got to have great loyalty among that staff and togetherness because it's a it's a very public profession uh, where you're criticized. You know, I've often said my dentist, I can't tell him how to pull a tooth, but he can tell me how to call every play. Everybody knows how to be a football coach. Everybody knows how to do it better than the head coach. And so you kind of – and you better have great loyalty on your staff. And so that – I mean, and there's all kinds of little nuances to hiring. But, but over over the years, since I've done it for so long, you begin to get a feel of, 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 of the different type of person. You can't have a bunch of screamers. You can't – you know, remember how Trickett, how tough he is? Coach Rick Trickett was a tough guy. I couldn't have Ken Rick Trickett. It would drive our kids crazy. But you better have a couple of Rick Trickers or you ain't going to be very tough. And you better have, you know, you're such a good cop, bad cop. You got to have guys that are that put their arm around you, and they got to have a guy that kick you in the panty. You know, you, you got to have those kind of guys. You know, Joel Hicks was our coach. Remember Joel Hicks? Uh, he was oh, yeah. our coach, running back coach at West Virginia, and a great coach. He went on to become a great high school coach in, 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 in Virginia. Of course, he was from Beckley and was a great coach at Beckley, but uh, he had a great personality. I, I, he was just a good guy and a good coach, and uh, it was fun playing for Joel Hicks, uh, who was who was from Southwest Virginia. I, I guess he was from Beckley. That's where he that's where he started coaching. Yeah, over in Big Creek. Yeah, is that where he's from? Back by Big Creek. Yeah. 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 I tell you, my last question before Princess come yeah. in is just we we talked about hiring the coaches. How hard is it to let them go? You know, because these guys got families uh, and kids. And yeah. So, so take me a little bit through that before Princess jump in. Doug, that's, that's a good question because it's I, I, I've always had a hard time with that. Now, and my father, there ain't many coaches in his career he ever fired, and I and, and you could probably count the coaches on one hand that I fired. Uh, I've been very blessed, uh, but I've also been very loyal to my coaches. Now that's not always the case. Uh, uh, now, now that's why I hate it when I, if I were to, if a new, if a, if an AD were to bomb like that, like at, at, at ULM, the AD decided he wanted to go a different direction. Well, I have a contract. He pays me a contract. I feel bad for my assistant because they had, they had one month contracts or two month contracts and they're out of a job and they, and, and they've got to move to a different city and they got to, so it's a tough business. Uh, cause when a head coach loses his job, there's about 15 or 20 families. Uh, to get uplifted and have to move somewhere else. But the hardest part about having to, to fire a coach is it's very it's, it's always difficult for me because if I hire them, then it's my responsibility to make sure that, that, that I make sure uh, that I hire the right guy, one. And then, two, if he needs mentoring, if he needs guidance, I, I try to correct it before I fire him. Uh, and so I haven't fired too many coaches in my career. I, I just – uh, probably probably three or four in my entire 28 years as head coach, I've had to fire. That's not the case. Now, now here's a difference. Say you're the head coach. I noticed where LSU had to fire. I think he fired his whole defensive staff. Uh, well, he makes, what, eight or nine million dollars to be the head coach. 
His assistant coaches, several of them are making over a million. Most all of them are making a half a million. You know what? If you get paid that much, you better do a great job. Because you, 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 the head coach has to fire you. That school's giving him that much money to hire the best coach in the country. If he feels you didn't do a good job, I'm not so sure he's doing the right thing if he doesn't bring somebody else in. Uh, because, but that's, that's not what I was brought up in. That's not the way I see it. But that's the way it is these days when you come into coaching and with today's money at the top level, I, I think you better expect that if things if, if if results aren't quick, they're going to make a change. But that's different than growing up in the business like I did, where you have a, a group of ten coaches, their families are close, nobody makes a ton of money, uh, uh, nobody did in the other day, and so everybody tries to help each other out. Uh, it gets a little different now when you're paying the the money. And and again, let me say this: most of these assistant coaches at the Power Five schools. Uh, they have. They also have two-year contracts or three-year contracts, and so when you fire that guy, he's got a couple years of contract that, that covers him until he gets another job. And so uh, it's it's always been tough, uh, and uh, and and I hate to see I, I hate to have to fire coaches, and I guess I'm a little bit easier on coaches than most. I won't say that. I, I'm a little more. Uh, I want to rehabilitate. I want to teach. I want to help mentor a younger coach and. And maybe that's because I'm I'm 67 as a head coach as opposed to 27 as a young head coach, and I think I can help these guys a little bit more, you know, in a, uh, when they go. But it's that's it's a tough business. The, the money's there, the limelight's there, but you know what? It, for all those folks that want to be college head coaches, college coaches, there's 136 Division One schools, and those coaches make a pretty good money. But there's a lot of people that are out there at great schools that, that aren't very big. And those coaches may not make any more money than a high school coach, uh, and they need to be doing it because you love the game and doing it because you love developing young men. Because that it's gotta mean it's gotta mean something to you because you're not making enough money. If you got paid by the hour, you'd be putting way too many hours in uh for what you're getting paid. Okay, appreciate that, Terry. Uh, great job, uh, Precious. Coach Bowden, I wanted to start with you. Kind of talked about it a little bit. I want you to touch on it a little more for me. Your thoughts on hearing that Nick Saban had retired from college football. Uh-huh. Um, y- your thoughts on that? Well, you know, you when, when it, he's, he's seventy-two years old, and he, and he's yeah. still winning. I mean, he's 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 one play away from playing for the national championship this year. So I don't think yeah. he saw himself as not still having what it takes. I, I don't think it's like, gosh, I've lost my edge. He said he was tired. He said he was getting old. But I think that's uh, that's true of all of us. But, you know, my dad coached you <laughs> was 80. My dad won his second national championship at 69. My dad coached you was 81. I think, one, that's probably a little bit true that at 72, at some point, you're you're saying, you know, I, I mean, I got to – is there time left to do what I want to do? I, you know, my dad coached until he was 81. My mom, I wish he would have coached until he was about 70, so they could have gone travel and done something else. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think I think Nick loved it so much, uh, but he's 72 years old. I think he said, you, you got to look in the mirror and say, at some point, I'm going to put an end to this, you know. Now, do I think there's more to it than that? And this is strictly me speaking. Nick, Nick is old school. He may have He may understand how to coach today's game and understand how to recruit in today's game 
and how, understand how to develop players and evaluate players and all the analytics that's involved. But I do also believe that he's been coaching a long, long time. We, we lost you there, Coach Bowden. Can you hear me? I got you now. Can y'all hear me? I got me? you now. I'm, we got you. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't know how long y'all lost me there, but uh, I think I think I hit the mute button. But but I would say, <laughs> although Nick Saban is at 72 and he still knows how to win, I think he sees the, the changes that are coming about in football and yeah. the inability to develop a program and develop athletes. Uh, and, and I think it's not so much that we think football is going in a terrible direction, although some people think it is. It's definitely moving in a different direction, and that different direction is hard to figure out. It's hard to figure out how to develop a young man. It's hard to yeah. fill up how to, how, to, how to mentor a young man. And I don't. I think there's a lot of them say, you know what? I, that's that's not the game I started doing. And somewhere along the line, Nick's probably got some of that. But I think he's partly honest and say, you know, I'm 72. I was kind of ready to to smell the roses. Also, let's talk about the college football playoffs and going from four to 12. But I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, when you heard mm-hmm. that FSU did not make the final four, right. um, were you surprised to that and said, okay, or it, did it not surprise you once Jordan Travis went down? Um, but your thoughts about that and then talk about yeah. the college football playoffs going from four to 12. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm glad that I'm glad we're going to a playoff. I, I You know, I am. Having said, I coached at Salem. We were in a playoff. I coached at Sanford. We were in a playoff. Every every league has eight or sixteen team playoffs. So it's playoffs. They work. It works. So I'm glad mm-hmm. that there is a, a playoff. Uh, and the more, and I think we're going to twelve in the future. I don't know why they didn't do sixteen. Sixteen would have been a better number because uh, you got a mm-hmm. natural natural playoff. Three, you have a three three round three round playoff. Um, and so uh, now Florida State, as I wa- and, I, and I remember watching that game, and, I, and, and uh, of course they were playing with their third quarterback when they won their last game. Yeah. And uh, uh, I said it's not fair. I mean, when they went undefeated, I said they've got to make because that, that, that it should be based on how well you did. They won the ACC. They went undefeated. And I don't know how you can not put the undefeated team in the in the championship game. Uh, now things didn't work out for them against Georgia, but but still, I, I just think I, I think the uh, uh, I think the criteria uh, should not be about well what are the ratings going to be. Uh, we, we're we're not going to project them. Their third team, their second team quarter will be back. Will they be better as a better there or not? So I, I was disappointed, uh, but the four good teams got in. I, I'm not saying that for there's there's an argument either way, but when you mm-hmm. go undefeated. Uh, and there were only one other undefeated team out there. Uh, I don't know how you don't get in. And uh, uh, Florida State, I felt, I felt should have got in, but I don't. But I, not because they were just on paper were they better than the other four teams? Not necessarily. But during the season, the body of work, they went undefeated in one of the top teams in the conference, and no, no undefeated team had ever been left out of the Final Four if they won their Power Five conference. And so. I felt like they should have been there. Um, that being said, as we as we move to twelve teams down the road, and we move to more teams, you're you're probably going to not have that problem. Although there will always, if it's an eighteen playoff, there will always be a ninth team that felt like they should get in. If you're a, yeah. a fourteen, there's a fifth team. 
If you're a 16 team, there's a 17th team. So there's always going to be some debate, debate as to who that last team is, and you do the best job you can. But I, I do like the fact that we've got a chance for everybody to get in. Uh, I will say this. We've seen something happening now that we did not expect, uh, and that is with the portal transfer and, and, and being able to leave. There's a lot of players that are choosing not to stick around if they're not in the playoffs or they're in a bowl, or they lose the first round, or they not, do they stay with the team, or do they get out and move somewhere else? Uh, and uh, it's really affecting the number of players that decided not to play in the postseason. Yeah, you know, and that's the last question. I want to talk about the transfer portal. Um, I'm here in Columbia, right. South Carolina, and last year Shane Beamer, you know, did a press conference, and he said one of my players – says he wants to go to the transfer portal, but he wants to play in the bowl game first. He said, well, what kind of stuff is that? You know, he said, if, if, <laughs> if you want to go, go. Uh, yeah, that's said, right. So talk about the, the basic craziness that the transfer yeah. portal has brought about. And did you have a staff just to try to handle the, tra- the transfer portal? Well, well well, we had, and, you know, and we're we're ULM. We're not we're not in South Carolina. We're not in Georgia. We're not we're, yeah. we're University of Louisiana Monroe. You know, we're the yeah. smallest Division One school in the country, the lowest budget. Uh, but you know what? Those kids are making those decisions. And the sad thing is, uh, and I've seen it the last two years. It, when you have your team meeting on Friday night, when I when I give a pep talk to my team on Friday night, in those last two or three weeks. When I look in those players' eyes, I can I can already see the three or four that are that are leaving. I, I can see it in their wow. eyes. They're not paying mm-hmm. attention. They somebody secretly has already gotten to them, and, yeah. and so it's not. So it, there's a there's a lot going on that the public is not aware of. These these transfers, every, everybody knows who's who's eligible to transfer. Everybody at any Power Five school, they have a group of people didn't know who on the other Power 5 school would be allowed to, to, to portal out. Because you really, after you, after you go out one time, you're not supposed to go out again until you graduate. But every single every single person on that team is being evaluated by somebody else. And, and they're being evaluated during the season. So if you've got a backup yeah. player and you're not playing him, if you've got a backup that was a great recruit and you, and, and you know he's going to be a great player for you as a senior, you better find a way to play him as a freshman somehow because he's going to jump in that portal, and he's going to be gone. And so that's happening. And so it really does change how the end of the season works and how the postseason works. Uh, and and I, I don't – like I said, and we're still trying to figure it all out. We're still trying to figure out how to win with it, how to play with it. I will say this. The Alabamas and the Georgias, they get the very best player out of high school. And so that high school player – as long as he's as good as they think he is, he's not going to afford to transfer somewhere else because he's going to play for a championship there. But if but if he goes to that school and he's backing somebody else up and they both have another year, one of them is going to portal out. They're, yep. they're both not going to stick around. Yeah, that, and that's how I've seen it go. And it's, it's, it's troubling because it seems like, you know, you, you're, as you've said, and of course you know, you're recruiting not only outside, but you're trying to recruit back your players um, and your stars oh. back to your own team. Yeah, you, you better, you better. If your kids, if your players have a good year, somebody better be talking about a, about an NIL. <laughs> somebody better be talking yeah. about an NIL 
because it's not just because the portal. You got to remember, the portal by itself is one thing, but you take a portal and then you add the fact that there are NILs out there, and these boosters are working, and they and yes, they are working with the coaching staff. They're working with the school. The they, those boosters know which players those coaches want, and so they're, they're It's not supposed to be for recruiting, but we all know. Uh, the NIL money is being used for recruiting. But to tell you how, how tough it can be, we were coming back this year with a pretty good football team. I had a star quarterback that I, that was going to lead us to. Really, I felt like we, we, were, we could have been bowl bound, and he jumped in the portal last year. And I lost him. Wow. And he's, I think he's going to California. Well, I was able to find a real good one out of the portal. And so we, had a, we, we were able to get another one back. Well, that fella came back, and we were 2-0, and and he got he – got, uh, tackled and broke his collarbone. Now he's out for the season. So now I'm basically at my third quarter. Well, we struggle uh, the rest of the season uh, because of that. And it, it all started when I lost the guy that I had built up, the guy that we had worked with so hard at quarterback. Right when he was ready to lead us to a bowl game, we lost him. And then, of course, we got in the portal and we lost the next one. And so it's, you better know what you're doing and you better know how to handle that portal because it can uh, – it can bite you in the rear. It can bite you pretty quick. Awesome. Mr. Bout, this has been awesome for me. Um, you yeah. know, we officially, you know, have had you on, and, and Tommy Bowden is, is, is a regular, um, and we go back uh-huh. and forth. He reminded me that a Florida player uh, transferred to Florida State. He said, Prince, I had to let you know that since I haven't talked to you since the holidays. <laughs> well, you know, I, don't, I haven't seen too many, but, but those players, you got to remember, the loyalty – and, you know, the old I'm a Gator or I'm a, I'm a Noel, that stuff is kind of out the window with these kids. Not with the it alumni, sure not with the graduates, but with That's these right. kids, it, 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 they, they've lost. And I don't like that. I personally, I, I got no problem. I'd rather a kid just go to school somewhere. He'll have friends forever, maybe join a fraternity, meet his girlfriend who becomes his wife, uh, knows the fight song, loves the, the school colors takes his kids back there when he grows up and gets married. The kids go back to his homecoming. I just thought we, we, we're going to lose a lot of that. Yeah. we got to get out of the way for our next show. Coach Bowden, thank you very much. All right. Go ahead. Thank you. Hey, thank you, TB. Hey, we'll talk soon. Hey, man, you'll have to yeah. jump on with uh, your brother one time for us. Oh, hey, I'll never, I'll, I'll never get a word in if Tommy's on with me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll do it. Sure enjoyed it. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Never had it so good. We'll get out of the way here for the um, contributors in just a moment. Almost heaven, West Virginia. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.